Hello, and welcome to the Get French Football News Preview Show for today, February 23rd, 2017. Nathan Staples is with me today. Adam White is unfortunately absent, and we do hope to have him back next week to run the rule over all the cup action that will be coming up as well. Uh, but before delving into an interesting weekend in Ligue 1, we'll cast our eye over the weekend's European action, notably Monaco's trip to the Etihad. Uh, Nathan, there's a lot to go over in this match, with City, which City won 5-3, for those of you who have been under a rock for the past four days. Uh, <laughs> let's start with Leonardo Jardim. Uh, the manager, since taking over, has been all but unassailable. Uh, we had spoken Monday about the potential fitness of Bakayoko and Sidibe before the, before the match. Um, looks like they struggled. Uh, they did end up starting. Was Jardim right to risk them from the start, given the obvious issues that they had? It's a good question. Um, Sidibe, I'm going to say yes, because he's he is a liability defensively anyway, and if he's not fully fit, that means he can't cover the field like he can, although he's not always superb at it, and that was exposed quite considerably by Leroy Sane on a couple of occasions. So you can question him for starting him when you've got such a capable um, backup in Traore, who we've seen this season do really well at right-back when needed. So, that yes, that one is a question. For me, Bakayoko, I think you have to start him. I think him and Fabinho are such a good partnership in the middle and make that 4-4-2 so much better. Because I think what we saw in the game on uh, Friday evening against Bastia, that while Moutinho is a good player, I don't think he suits the 4-4-2 as well in that central role. I think he gets a little lost in there um, positionally because he wants to be more of a creative player. It leaves too much of a defensive emphasis on Bakayoko and just the the way that Bakayoko and Fabinho together work so well opposite styles and they know that it's very old, the old-fashioned 4-4-2 of they both, one goes forward, the other one knows to stay back. They switch it up if they need to. They know each other are there. They know where they need to be on the field together as a partnership and I think it's, it's it was a risk, but that one's the risk worth taking because Bakayoko can be so good and has a, such a good relationship with those players and has played a really important part of the season. So, in all honesty, I, I can forgive Jardim for that one. Again, like I mentioned, Sidibu one is maybe more of a risk when you know you've got someone who's capable enough of, of filling his boots. Hmm. So, but I, I guess maybe to push you a little bit more on that point, I mean, yeah. would you say that's that's true even if it's at the risk of further exacerbating their their condition? I mean, Monaco have another midweek match uh, in the cup coming up. Uh, it's it's not as if their fixture list is about to you know get a get a whole lot easier. Yeah, it's it's a pain for a lot of clubs, and being a Manchester United fan, I know it all too well at the moment. Is that when you're still in so many competitions, and that's a great thing, and it's great to be succeeding. It's it does put a strain on a on a squad and especially one at Monaco that we've said has got good depth in the past, but when Boschulli is injured, when you mentioned like Bakayoko and Sidibe aren't fully fit, uh, Jameson was banned for this one. It starts putting a little bit of a strain on the team, especially when, like you say, you think about the cup game in midweek, which is against Marseille, which isn't easy um, because you're thinking if you're more in the situation of PSG of facing a maybe a second tier side or something like that, it's a it's a little bit more fathomable to play younger players in those stages but they really think they had a shot I think at this game and it was clear by the absolute frantic nature of it and the goals that they scored full stop that they felt if they put out a good side and put out a good marker they could really cause City problems and maybe have won this tie all on its own on in the Etihad if they'd have been a bit more solid if they didn't have a crazy 
20 minutes where the entire game plan goes out the window for both sides, really. And it's it, it made for a fantastic game. But uh, Jardim will be shaking his head and, and stroking his brow and thinking how it sort of got away from them. But they, I think he felt that they were there for the taking City. And he knew that, for example, if the penalty goes in, it's 3-1. They maybe nick the fourth as well. 4-1 absolutely kills that tie because I, I don't see City coming back and scoring goals if they're that far down the line. But it's such a difficult balancing act, isn't it, Eric? Let's be honest. It's They're doing so well in the league. You want to keep that going because PSG are breathing down your necks. In all honesty, if you're, if I'm being absolutely honest, the, the cup is probably the least of their worries. And it's the one sure. they maybe can throw a couple more at it. But... It's the it's the craziness of management. I would have, yeah, I I, I throw him in, in something in a Champions League tie because it's the big game, it's the big prize pot. But yeah, you uh, you you have the right question. It's such, <laughs> it's why you don't be a manager, isn't it? It's such a difficult balancing act. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's certainly a tough decision. Personally, I think I I think I would have opted for opted for Moutinho. I mean, let's face it. You know, Monaco's hallmark is this manic attacking style. Not manic, but it's it's a very forward-thinking style. I think we can agree on that. But you know that that would also allow City to dominate possession, playing in that way, regardless of whether they're successful or not. But for me, bringing on Moutinho in place of Bakayoko, who I, th- I think did you know flagged as much as City Bay as well as as well as Torre, would have made the match you know a little bit more even in terms of possession. It would have allowed Monaco to get a little bit more of a breather. I mean, let's face it. You know, I, I think that in terms of fitness, that City were the superior side on the night. And I think that that made the difference, particularly in those last 20 minutes uh, as City did take the lead. And that were, had Monaco been able to keep the ball a little bit more. And again, I know this is hindsight's 2020. Their players wouldn't have been as stressed as much physically. And I think that, I think that could have potentially made them not be so leggy towards the end. I'm not saying that the result necessarily would have been different. Um, but it wouldn't have led to so many easy opportunities for for City down the backstretch. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. So moving on now to the other thing that I I, I did a reaction piece that came out yesterday on on the site. Speaking about about the use of Moutinho and and Jardim's substitutions, could he have done more to close the match down? Obviously, you're at th- you're at three three three. You're at three two. You're you're still got a good result. Should he have pulled the trigger then, with say half an hour to play, bringing on Moutinho? Said his first substitutions to bring on Germain for for Mbappe. Is he is he really that afraid of the reverse fixture? I mean, should he have sought the closest this match down more quickly? It's such again. It's a tough one because it's. Yeah. Yes, Moutinho is more of a controller, but if you're bringing him on, you probably bring off a forward, like you say, and try a formation that maybe I don't think Monaco are as comfortable with. And I think at the same time, that also brings an enormous amount of pressure for a team that can be really good in those tight areas with De Bruyne and Silva. They're really excellent at breaking down defences that try and stop them playing. Um, They have been for a long time. That's one of, I always thought Man City's strengths is that they have so many good players between the lines of those two I've mentioned, Aguero, that they can sort of build up in such tight spaces that it can be really difficult to shut them down. Um, I actually quite liked the substitution for Jaman first because it was, uh, was it 3-3 when he brought him on? Was it, am I right? 
Uh, yes. I quite like that simply because, like we mentioned on Monday's podcast, Germain is a great uh, worker in the channels. And I think if they could have got the ball out, and it was just, it's such a tough one because even if you make the, the I think you make a great point in the sense that if they make the changes of like Moutinho, uh, maybe even Duras slightly earlier because he's more defensively minded in terms of being a wide player and, and maybe covering um, any overloads on those on the one of the sides, it's it maybe changes their mentality because they did kind of lose it for a good 15, 20 minutes where it was just all guns to Blazers because they thought they could grab another when City got in front. It wasn't it wasn't the right mentality really, and that also it's a strange one because again that that speaks to the experience of the side in these sort of competitions of they wanted to go for it rather than shut up shop where a three three would have been a fantastic result and even four three would have been okay. It was four three when Germain came on. I'm I'm just checking that now, but yeah, yeah, the point stands. Yeah, yeah, especially at four three, then you should have. I think you should have definitely made the substitutions of of holding it on, but it's again that strange balance in acting, like you mentioned, hindsight's twenty twenty. It's a real tough one for Monaco because honestly, other than that twenty minutes, I thought Monaco for large parts of that game, maybe other than the first 10, 15 minutes with a better side, they counted superbly. Um Mbapp was excellent and and even though we weren't certain if he was started, but I thought he was excellent. Uh, Bernardo Silva was uh, sensational. He's such such a good footballer that um, he caused City all kinds of problems, and it's just a little bit frustrating because you will be left with these what ifs. But I, I mentioned this on on Twitter. Ah, Jardim has the potential to get this team, get them concentrated. It's, it'll be difficult without Glick, but if they can hold out for the first twenty minutes of a City in the second leg against City, grab a goal, make them nervous away from home without the roar of the crowd that they had when they started surging the other night. And this this could be turned around still. No, I don't disagree with that either. Uh, you mentioned Neville Dior there. Uh, and I wanted to ask now, I know this seems very foolhardy to say, given the form that Monaco have been in and the place they have in the league, but did he perhaps deserve a start here? And let me you know preface this by saying, for me, Dirar was such an important player in the beginning of that the beginning of the season before he got injured. Uh, how well he controlled that right side defensively, uh, allowing City Bay to, to bomb on, uh, really made a difference. And in that system, you had uh, you had uh, Dirar on the right and Silva playing just off the striker, so it was more of a four four one one, if you will. I know that would seem silly given uh, the performances they each turned in to have dropped one of Falcao or. Mbappe Latin, but could there, but again, this is away from home. You know, City are going to play on the counter, or sorry, Monaco are going to play on the counter a little bit more than they normally do. Could there have been some argument for in, including Dirar or at least bringing him on uh, sooner? Perhaps not in place of Silva, but perhaps in, in place of Bakayoko and moving Silva centrally, for example? It's a tough one. Personally, if, if starting-wise, no. I don't think Dirar's had enough game time, and I think this Monaco team's been too good. And also, they know the fragilities of Ma- Manchester City that they might have they might have crumbled on another day, Manchester City, in all honesty, on that pressure of the 3-1-3-2. I think, I think on another day, that could have made a real difference. But 
I think I really like Dirar and it's great to have him back, especially like you mentioned with the fixture conjecture and pulling up. You don't want to have to play Lamar or and or Silver on both of those games coming up at the weekend and then in midweek again, then as they start to build up again. So it's great to have him back. And yes, I, I, like I mentioned previously, it might have been an interesting idea to bring him on earlier. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I wouldn't have brought him off for Bakayoko necessarily because, again, I'm worried about that central area, which is where where Silver is, where De Bruyne tends to drift into. That's a really crucial area in that game. And at the same time, I agree with you that Sidibe clearly needed an extra bit of cover and that Dira really would have offered that to stop overloads. He could have concentrated simply on Sane and, and marking him. So, yeah, I would have probably brought him on earlier. I would have, I probably would have risked it and taken Lamar off and switched Bernardo possibly to that wing. Mm. I know it's a bit of a complicated one, but Lamar sort of lost himself in the last half an hour. He, again, faded a little bit and really didn't really have much to do at the same time, but really wasn't involved in the end part of the game. So maybe that might have been the right switch because I'm, I'm afraid of taking too many bodies out of that central area uh, from a defensive point of view. I, I think it's hard to disagree with that. Let's us conclude our discussion of Monaco. Perhaps some lessons learned. Uh, can they score two goals without reply against uh, Pep Guardiola's side or 3-1? Uh, I think there's still every chance we've seen this team get impressive results against the best they've had to offer. They won 3-1 against uh, Paris Saint-Germain earlier in the season, for example. Uh, but uh, Champions League football is another story. So best of luck to Monaco uh, when they do have the reverse fixture in just under three weeks. So speaking a couple words now about their opponents, though, Manchester City. Um, what was your overall impression of them? Did I know that there did seem to be a little bit of a tactical misstep for, uh, for Pep Guardiola, at least to start, but bringing on Guardiola for Fernandinho seemed to make a difference. Um, I bring on Zabaleta for, for Fernandinho. Sorry, <laughs> seemed to make a difference. If only they could bring Guardiola on, eh? <laughs> I know, I know. We have to play that 4 1 for 1. Um, how did he approach this match? I know we, we had expressed some doubts uh, on Monday about uh, how well this 4 1 4 1 could hold up against Monaco's defensively, but it offered so much more in attack. Was it worth the risk, et cetera? What was your overall impression? It was a strange one. Again, I, I thought Man City ebbed and flowed much like this season did. They they were awful at parts and the second half, the first half and the first 10, 15 minutes of the second half where they were they were really put to the sword at times from some of the attacks. It felt like every time Monaco broke that they were going to score. Um, their centre-back period is still not convincing at all um, and it seems to be getting worse more than anything, which seems so strange to think about that such a big team with such a great the financial backing behind them can't find a pair of centre backs that can actually defend. It's worrying. Although I always feel like Stones is on the brink of eventually getting there, but he needs someone much, much better and much more experienced beside him. Where they can find that, I, I don't know. But I, I, I agree with you. The attacks, the tactical adjustment to put Zabaleta, who's much more natural right back, but still a great defender as well, instead of Fernandinho, who I thought they played partially to combat Bernardo Silva coming inside a little bit more. Um, but that also just freed up Sidibe to be really alone because Sane's not going to be defending an enormous amount and that really put on a, a heap of pressure on him. Um, it made a real difference. I thought Zabaleta was much more solid. Um, he didn't allow Bernardo Silva too much space 
to cut inside, but also didn't shirk his own abilities at right back. But at the same time, that was a real misstep to move Fernandinho, who, who has been decent this season. He's picked up a, a couple of silly red cards, but he's he's a very solid centre defensive midfielder and pulling him out of that area as well. Probably give the freedom for Bernardo Silva to move in there as areas, but also for Falcao to come short for the ball, for and that and then in turn allowed Mbappe to terrorise those centre backs. So he realised that Justin maybe luckily it was just about bang on. If he'd have left it a moment later, there might not have had been a chance to get back in the game. But he probably timed that substitution just about right. I think I'd have to agree with that. I think we also need to give some credit here. Speaking of of Manchester City's defensive performance to uh, the likes of David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, we, these players both, I think, worked incredibly well to track back as well as those, the two fullbacks cutting inside. It really wasn't, despite the nominal formation of 4-1-4-1. Uh, Yaya Torre had quite a bit of support, both from the central midfielders tracking back and from the fullbacks cutting inside. So it was a good holistic approach, I, th- I think, from City. And I think that there's a lot to be said for how, how this team looked. Are they going to catch Chelsea in the Premier League? No. But if they do progress in the Champions League, I don't think that they're a team that anybody wants to come up against uh, given the sort of form they showed and the sort of potency that they've had. And like I said, you know, this is, we saw this similarly last year. I mean, I know it was Pellegrini and it was a different system, but getting players that are nominally such devout, such devout attackers to work tracking back uh, has given this team success in the past. And we saw this uh, last year with, it was Navas and Silva. They they both ran the channels really well against PSG and and tracked back and defended. And I think that was the key to uh, getting through in that time. So there's, I think there's a lot of good things to be said about City's performance. Now, letting in three goals is going to be frustrating, but I think that you know you get you get uh, you get full fitness back to the squad, and there's there's going to be more going to be more to come for this team. So finally, uh, a bit of redemption for Sergio Aguero. I mean, should he should he keep his his place here? I know that there's a lack of options, but uh, are we? You know, just kind of shaking in our heads about the, how he was even dropped, or was this the kill the backside he needed uh, with Gabriel Jesus coming in? Yeah, absolutely. And he was terrific. Again, he was running after every ball. He put a real effort in defensively. I thought as well in the attacking areas of, of putting himself about. He was he, he was excellent. He was probably the best player for City. Really, um, he did a little bit of everything. Obviously, grabbed his goal very well as well. Um, He's a really great footballer. He, he maybe like you say. I think he just needed that little bit of a shove, a little bit of a moment to say you can't just assume that you're going to be the number one and, and not put the work rate in. And he he was excellent. And um, if he plays like that again um, without Glick as well, uh, I think Monaco. I don't know what Monaco will do to stop him. Um, I think he'll power City by himself to to win this tie if he's allowed to in that second leg. Preliminary prediction then for the reverse. I, r- I really want to say two nil to Monaco, but I'm going to say I'm going to say if it if it follows the same pattern as the other game, I'm going to go two two again. I actually that's the words out of my mouth. I, that's yeah. what I would say as well. Uh, so Monaco can score, but without Glick, I really really worry about their uh, ability to defend. So moving on now to the Europa League, uh, your team were in action yesterday. Believe it or not, I guess they have uh, the official reason was that they were worried about traveling fans mingling in the Rhone Valley. Uh, that is uh, Manchester United fans and AZ fans who I don't know maybe have a reputation for being a wild bunch. 
but anyway, uh, United played yesterday uh, and won one nil at the Wishard. Hendrik Mkhitaryan with the goal for no win on aggregate. Nathan, you watched the match. What made this Sante side so lackluster, so different to the one that has so showed so much enterprise in the reverse fixture? The moment I think. It, I think the early goal, and it's not super early, it was in the, like, the first 15 minutes, but I think it killed them stone dead in the water instantly. Mm. I think they knew that as soon as that away goal goes in, that's now a five-goal mountain that you have to climb. And that's how are you going to get that started? For the centre-dien side that we criticise so often for not being uh, dangerous enough in attack, they don't really show enough endeavour in those areas. They haven't really got a great centre-forward. They're playing Hamuma as a roaming number nine at the moment and we just saw classic sanctity in not in all honesty they realized that the tie was probably over they also in in all honesty in another day um this could have been four or five to manchester united if they were a bit more clinical in the final third rashford had a couple of chances uh ibrahimovic was screaming for a couple of tap-ins that he didn't end up getting it really could have been quite ugly so it was it was classic. It was more like what we expect from a Galtier side and probably what we're more what we expected in the first leg of being a bit more tighter, tenser, not really creating much, but they just really went for it at Old Trafford hoping they could get a goal and coming back knowing they didn't have the goal and getting that blow so early because a goal with that crowd we were absolutely terrific. <laughs> There's so many of the United players on on there on their Facebook feeds and and such were raving about the atmosphere because it was absolutely fantastic for the entire 90 minutes. But that can only do so much. <laughs> it's a shame that the product on the field doesn't match the uh, the colour in the fans, really. But, um, yeah, I think that was the knockout blow, really. It was a, a, a lovely finish from Mickey. And uh, to get it so early, it really knocked the stuffing out of them. And they didn't really recover. I thought... There were moments where they were okay. I thought Malqui was pretty decent, but it, it was because he didn't have to do an enormous amount of defending, although he did cover excellently, break, uh, covering the ground. He needs to do more of that going forward because when he plays like that, he looks so much better. Um, I thought Moni Paquet was okay. And, and again, I think he's been better in recent weeks and he's been more enterprising, but there was just a lack of something, as there always seems to be with Lever at the moment. There was just not really that final product. And I unless they get someone in in the summer to really be a, a, a focal point of that forward line, it's going to be a continuous problem in all honesty. All right, moving on now to today's Europa League fixture. That's Leon uh, beating Azad Alkmaar. The match just finished a little while ago. 7-1 to win 11-2 on aggregate. Uh, Nabil Fekir scored a hat trick. Now, okay, Azad were, as we were speaking before the show, really poor in both legs. Uh, but... <laughs> Could we take a positive from this? Was this a sign that Leon could function with Nabil Fekir as a striker? On that, the the sign of it of something positive to come out of this really because it was, was RZ were awful in both legs and they were horrendous tonight for long spells. Um, Fekir as a striker, we've always thought both both me and you when they were playing the diamond four four two. He's I really like him in that position. It looks like he's slowly growing in confidence again and growing into that really comfortable position where he goes one-on-one with the goalkeeper and he, you just know he's one of those players where you know he's going to score because he's so relaxed in those positions and it's so wonderful to watch. And I really, really... I don't, I don't want to hype it too much in case he gets injured again or in case he sort of dips a little bit again, but... 
I really hope this is Fakir slowly getting back to that form we've seen him in the past because he's such a wonderful footballer when he's on top form and there's little hints that he's coming back to it. And I like him in that striker's role. And he, well, like we've mentioned in the past, he worked really well in that role alongside Lacazette. And I think that's his future as well. I think next season when Lacazette clearly is going to go, um, Fekir will move into that central role, probably with Depay on one side of him. A mix between the other three of Valbuena, Gezal if he stays, and, and Corne on the other wing, or maybe a mix of four of those, I don't know. Um, but it's a sign that if they keep, I hope they keep playing him there when they can. I mean, in the games that they can afford to maybe rest Lacazette like they could tonight, it, it was a really great opportunity for him to shine in that role and shine he did against what might as well have been a bunch of cones out there really. But um, yeah, it's a, that's the main positive they can take and hopefully this is a big confidence boost for the entire team because um, they were good against Dijon at the weekend but they were probably a little bit lucky at the same time. It was a, it was a strange game. But um, yeah, hope for the future for Fekir and hopefully now this is, again, we've mentioned it before that it looked like he was slowly coming back. Hopefully this is another step in the right direction for him to get in back to a uh, top form. Yeah, I would tend to agree. And I think also not, not only going forward, but this season as well. I mean, Lacazette, you know, with Leon still uh, fighting on two, on two fronts, you know, we have to wonder at what point that's going to take a toll on him playing every single match. You know, is injury going to be a risk? Is suspension going to be a risk? Uh, we know that he did miss some time earlier in the season uh, due to, due to some various injuries. And it's not, it's not as if he doesn't have a history. I mean, Thinking back to that 2014-15 season, I believe he missed most of February with a back injury. So there's there's previous for this. And I think that, you know, get, resting like is that a little bit more in the next three or four months as the season winds down, I think can also be really key in, in allowing Leon to attack the Europa League uh, with as, as much as they would, they would like to. We'll see the draw for that tomorrow. I think that there's quite a bit of anticipation given um, given we've seen some, some of the quote-unquote bigger teams uh, knocked out. It looks like Shakhtar Donetsk, for example, are going to go out to Celta Vigo. Uh, Spurs are out. So uh, it's it's really shaping up to be a pretty open competition. I think we can look forward to uh, Leon having a good chance to to make it even further in this stage, depending on the draw. Yeah, a lot of big roadblocks are falling off, aren't they? But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So looking forward to our prediction game, uh, we have current standings uh, of Myself on 59, Adam on 51, and Nathan on 47. Uh, I had a better week last week than I have recently. I've got one score right and two predictions right. Nathan, got you got one score right. Uh, so, again, it's three points for a correct score, one point for a correct prediction. But we've got five matches uh, to look at. You could be right back on top at the end of this, this match day. So let's get into it. Um, starting with tomorrow's match, Nice hosting uh, Montpellier. Now, Montpellier has struggled on the road, but the additions of uh, Mbenza and, and Dolly look pretty good. Stefan Sessegnon's really adapted uh, to playing a, well, more of a Morgan Sanson role. I think I don't think it's an orthodox defensive midfielder, but someone who can really shuttle between defense and attack. Uh, I think that's a really masterful uh, stroke by Gasset to play him a little bit deeper and, and a good display of maturity by Sessegnon himself to uh, to play that role you know, without having to be the prime creative influence that he had, he has been in the earlier part of the season. Uh, so, you know, do Montpellier have a chance? I mean, do they, do they look sharp enough to, to get a result against Nice or, 
you know, was it just a matter of playing against a disinterested Saint-Étienne last weekend? Well, they've been in better form recently. I mean, it, they've won three of the last four, and that loss was against Monaco, where they had a, a distinctly average first half. But they did come back into it with a Hilton goal and did look dangerous in occasions. And I don't see why not. This is a real watermark, though, I think, of where this team is in terms of after the the um, Frederick Hans left. And obviously, it's... Um, I keep forgetting his name. It's... Um, who's in charge now? It's... Uh, Keep skipping my mind. I'll double check. It is Jean Louis Gasset, isn't it? Yes, yeah. the yeah former PSG system manager. Yes, yeah. It, they look better. They definitely look better recently. Um, they seem a little bit more focused. Like you've mentioned, a couple of those players that they've brought in have really impressed. And Benza, uh, Dolly's looked pretty decent. Sessegnon has always been pretty decent as well. I think. They've got such a fabulous talent that I've mentioned in the past. I don't want to keep banging on the Booty Boos drum, but he's an absolutely excellent <laughs> player that really lifts. He really for a, for a side that could be without him, I don't think they're any any good. I think if he'd have gone in January, they should be really, really worried, even with the players they've brought in. Um he makes such a monumental difference to this team. And and then you've got Mounier up front as well, who's excellent. You've got decent defenders at least in Hilton experience wise who's who's been there done that with about everything so that always helps although the defence has been creaky in the past but is a little bit better recently it's not perfect yet but it's better but away from home against the Nice side that got a good result last weekend although obviously there was mitigating factors to that with Balotelli and the news about Alassane players a real worry as well um and that will be the worry for them is scoring goals. But this Montpellier team sometimes gift you a couple. So uh, this is a really intriguing game. I think they've got a chance. But in all honesty, I think it'll be a draw. But I think it, it, it's close to call. All right. So turning now to their opponents, to Nice, uh, how do they line up? Uh, we, we spoke about the lack of availability of both Alessandro Playa and Mario Bellatelli. Well, he's only suspended for one match. A, a small favor there is his third red card. He only gets one match. Uh, Mikel Lebihan is, is been named in the side. I mean, he was someone who was brought in from La Havre but has struggled with injuries. Was a decent striker in Ligue 2. Uh, he's, he's a bigger physical presence than would be other Donis or Belhanda. Uh, you know how how do we set this up if we're if we're losing five? I think he risks Stonies. I think um, he did that earlier this season. Um, not when it was injuries, but he did. He, what was the game he started? It was against. Um, it was recently as well, wasn't it? Or no? He started, He played the played the majority of the game against Rennes. He played forty eight minutes. That was it. So he's he's that was his most. Other than that, you can look down the list, and he's played thirty two minutes in the first game of the season. Are coming off the bench. Other than that, 23 minutes and then 48 minutes there. So it's a risk. But do you play Libyan, who's barely played any football as well? It's a real toss-up. I think he risks the Greek international and hopes that maybe he can provide some sort of spark that if Balotelli, when he comes back, doesn't really force himself into it, um, gives them another option and another chance. Other than that, I think they'll try and set up the same kind of way. If they can, I know... Um, Sars not in the squad again, so it, it it doesn't seem like they'll go with a back three. But I I risk Donis being a more natural striker than Belonda, who would be my other option. I just don't think Lebian has shown me in the past that he's. Though he did well in Ligue 2, uh, again he's as much of a risk. If it's 
it's a good option to have at least. I think if if they are struggling for goals, try and bring him on. See which see which one of those two work in this game. <laughs> it's a strange thing to say that because they need to keep catching up with other teams. But um, yeah, I stick with that decision. I th- I think Donis is the more logical idea who at least has played more game time with his team and the and the players around him and. I think he did quite well in that Ren game as well. He had quite nice movement. I've quite enjoyed seeing him when he's played. Uh, give him a risk in the sense that he might he might give you something extra, I think. All right. So speaking about uh, Malang Sar, this, I wanted to see if you had uh, any thoughts on this. This has really come as somewhat of a surprise. We I, I was speaking with, with Rich Allen, who's been on the show before earlier, on Twitter that I, I noticed in looking at the squads that he's not injured, he's not suspended, he's just not with the team. There's no mention of him at all. And this from a player who had started, I think, all of Nice's first 23 matches. He hasn't been seen on the bench since coming off against Monaco. Uh, what do you think is going on here? Is, is this just a matter of far of shielding this player from criticism? Has he had experience some loss of form? Or do you think that there's something more, more wrong with the player psychologically? No, I don't think it's the second option. I, I I think it's probably Fav shielding him a little bit because we have to. I know it can be strange to think, but we have to remember sometimes how young Sar is, and it's weird to remind yourself that he's only just turned eighteen recently, which is crazy to think about how well he started the season. But he he maybe just needed a moment out of the spotlight. We'd mentioned a couple of times before that he'd not played as well. Um, he'd struggled in games. He started looking a little bit exposed in the. Uh, in a flat back four um, because he's he can be great on the ball but he was really often giving it away to the opponents that will create massive pressure um, and I think that yeah I can't imagine him being a mentally fragility he's got a great network behind him we've mentioned in the past that um, he's still he's still in his mother's house the money's not gone to his head that he signed a full contract or anything like that he's got a good network behind him he's probably shielding him a little bit now um fathering and giving him that time to take your time out it's going to be a long season there's plenty of games left in this in this campaign take a couple of games out take him out of the limelight and in fact that game against Dijon next week away although it is away from home that's maybe an ideal spot to put him in against a a team that can be a little bit indifferent they they can have they've got some good attacking players but at the same time they're not an incredible danger at least but Give him time to relax. Give him time to settle again, and then slowly introduce him back into the team. And that happens with young players. You just need to keep their their head on a level playing field. When they take a knock, lift them back up a little bit. I don't think this is a symptom of him not stepping up to the mark and him needing to be taken to a side and not utilised. I, I I think it looks to me at least more like Favre taking a bullet for him for for the time being at least. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. From from my perspective, I think that doing this rather than just leaving him on the bench, yeah, okay, you know, he's but putting him totally out of visibility seems to me that it would raise more questions uh, than it would answer about the player's situation. Okay, you know, on form, I don't think that that anybody would argue that that Dante and Bicer are better pairing at this point in time. But if he's on the bench with those two in front of him, great. But Nice have uh, is it. Le Marchand is, is, has been named in the squad ahead of him now. And I, I think for me that, that, raises more, that raises more questions. I think it draws more attention to the player's situation than it does uh, where he just to be named on the bench and not used. Because I think we can see that on form, especially if Nice have adapted to, to a 4-3-3 and are not using three center backs, that there is 
someone has to lose out there. And I think that over the course of the season, I think that that Bice, despite his injury, and Dante certainly make a better uh, first-choice center-back pairing than, than do uh, Saar and Dante or Saar and Bice. I think that's a fair point. So, uh, score prediction then for you, Nathan? A 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, okay. All right. And I'll go with the classic news result, 1-0. All right. And moving on now to Monaco host – or Gangnam, sorry, hosting Monaco. Uh, we have, uh, to be frank, <laughs> I think the question here is now what? Uh, <laughs> Gangamp have been in poor form. Uh, I think the worst form in the league, if if I recall correctly. Uh, But they didn't manage to draw against Monaco earlier in the season in the reverse fixture. Uh, Does Jardim rotate the the squad ahead of what's a pretty big cut match against Marseille? Or does he stack the deck in the league uh, to try and keep ahead of of PSG, who have an equally daunting match against Marseille on Sunday? Yeah, I mentioned earlier that the cup game was maybe the least important on on the radar, but you make a perfect point of Gangon being in a real slump at the moment and it's wondering how they'll get out. They did perform well in that reverse fixture, but we also have to remember that that was literally the first game of the season and Monaco looked very different at that point. We also mm. questioned their defensive abilities and bits like that and we questioned whether that was maybe an anomaly in the attack point of view. But in all honesty, I think that maybe a couple of changes might help. I think if you can... If you can rest Bakayoko, I think that's a really good one. Good game to do it in um, and play Moutinho. That might be a good idea, unless you think that the the cup fight, the cup game is a little bit of an easier ride to give Bakayoko the game rather than the rest, because then you have to factor in next weekend, which is starting to go get a little bit out of hand. But yeah, mix it up a little bit. I mean, he's probably going to play Glick for both of these games, um, I can imagine, and and he want to get Jameson at the weekend as well to give him. Um, obviously, after playing a game out, give him a bit of game. Um, I would probably rest Sidibe in this one, give Traore a run out, which he probably should have really got in the Champions League because of fitness. Um, and yeah, just judge it on the fly. At least Monaco have a, a reasonable amount of depth to bring on players if they start struggling. You can bring on, uh, if Germain was to start, you've got Mbappe to bring on to add a little bit. They might even. I wouldn't be surprised if they started Carrillo in this game, actually, to be fair, from maybe with someone. Um, maybe give him a bit of a run out. And you've, yeah, you've mentioned it perfectly that this is because Gangon are such in such poor form and look, look all of uh, a little bit out of odds. They don't really, they can't really work out what's gone wrong, really. They're, they're, they're not getting as much production out of the forward players. They're not creating quite as much. Uh, their defense is slowly sliding a little bit and. Yeah, there's there's issues there. Is I, I remember reading that is is Marcel out for this game as well, or have I, have I saw that somewhere strange? I think, but if he's out as well, that's an issue. They've they've had um, they had a red card last weekend as well, didn't they? From the uh, from the right back. Um, so there's little slip ups there, and and while I'm waiting for that moment where it all seems to click back for them again, I don't think it will be in this one. I think. Even if they do rotate a little bit, Monaco maybe have a little bit too much. Yeah, Sorbonne and Marcel have been ruled out for this match. Yeah, Breon is set, set to come back. So, yeah, definitely Gangomp are not at full strength and they haven't been in good form. I think, you know. So, with that in mind, what would be your prediction then? I'm going to go uh, Monaco 2 0. Okay. Uh, I'll go 3 1. Gangomp. 
We'll say that uh, the reintroduction of Nico Benese seems to be a real boon for the team. They have they have looked pretty good uh, with his reintroduction. Uh, he did well against Leon the other weekend, and uh, I think is it is it the type of talent that offers a little bit more creativity and subtlety than does uh, Marcus Coco, who had been used more extensively on that left wing. Yeah. Turning our attention now to Lille versus Bordeaux. Uh, Bordeaux were once again, well, at least for the last week, <laughs> hitting on all cylinders, uh, but Lille showed a much more defensive side at Caen, uh, and now they're playing at home. Uh, should they show a little bit more in attack, or should they play to frustrate this, board, this Bordeaux uh, offense that's been fairly solid in the past uh, couple months or so. And again, Lille are without uh, either Ius Basuma or, uh, or Adama Sumato. It's an awkward one for Lille because they're in a a little bit of an awkward situation still of, of really hovering around that danger zone where teams keep picking up points and drop points. So they they could do with a result, but it's a difficult game to really do it against. They've... I don't think they're good enough going forward in, in all honesty to really to really push this kind of game against a team that are really banging form, really. I mean, if you look at the goal scoring record this season, twenty-four goals, there's only one, two, two, there we are. And and one team is the one team above yeah, Angers have only scored twenty two as well. So there's only three teams in the league that have scored less than them. Uh so that tells you exactly the story you need to know about their attacking potential at the moment. Although we've mentioned that they have got some interesting players in those um, areas. El Ghazi scored a really nice goal at the weekend. Um, that I've always professed my undying love for Nicolas Depreville, but whether he'll start is another question entirely. Um, they should really play to frustrate because a point is so big in those battles where the points are really interchanging every week and, and maybe fight to live another day against the teams like They've got Nancy in two weeks. They've got games against Bastia to come as well. And then a home game against Gangon might be a good one as well in sort of April time. They've got other opportunities to really pick up points, especially when this Bordeaux side can be really dangerous in attack. I mean, Francois Camano has been really, really good in the last couple of weeks. He's really come on leaps and strides, which is a strange one because I, I thought when they signed him alongside, there was the names of Menes, there was always Tomatore there and, and Malcolm and, and Unas as well you thought that he was a strange sort of odd man out of maybe not getting the chances he might do, but six goals and two assists is so far this season and, and a lot of those coming in the more recent weeks. So it really shows the, the level he's coming on to and he's really attacking teams. He's really playing well from that left-hand side. He's getting in the box. He's creating goals. He's scoring goals. I think he's come on leaps and bounds really in the last couple of weeks and that's a real testament to him and to Govanek switching it up and, and giving these younger players like Varda like the board who came on for that in that game and and Malcolm as well has been playing well recently. So if I'm if I'm Leo, I I try and shut up the shop as much as I can. Without Sumaru, it's a bit it's a bit tougher as well. Um, Bisuma obviously restricts you in both ends with him being sort of a more box to box player. Um, but yeah, I think they try and shut them out because at the moment Bordeaux are really rising. I mean, a win in this one. Um, should results go their way, might lift them all the way to fifth and only a couple of points behind Leon should they lose. So, yeah, I, I, I pray caution to Passy at this weekend because you don't want to lose this game and start looking down rather than up again. Yeah, I, I think I'd have to agree with you. I think a more defensive setup would, would make sense here. We've seen uh, Leo play a 
play a, a three at the back at times, and I think that you know even even in the absence of Sumaro, they could they could still pull that off if they if they tuck Beria inside to play as a center back. You could bring in Sunzu. There's there's enough options there to to get that done, and I think that that might be the best the best way to go about things as well. Uh, so bearing that in mind, I think I'm going to go with despite that uh, a zero two results, so a two no win for Bordeaux. Uh, what about yourself? I'm going to go a little bit more optimistic, and that's three no Bordeaux. All right, and moving on now to speak about Leon again. Uh, they are facing Mets in the return fixture of that uh, infamous match from from early December where that was called off. Uh, and Leon have impressed their, with their attack in recent weeks, but they still looked a little bit nervy at the back, even today. Um, I, I think, you know, rather than focusing on this match, Mets have been in decent enough form when they've had their first team uh, in the recent past. Um, and, what what's gone wrong for Leon defensively this season? I, th- I think is the more general question we should ask here. Is it personnel? Uh, is it form? I mean, Nikola Ankulu has been a non-entity, and he was you know one of the bigger signings in the summer. Uh, is it the overall approach from the manager from Genesio? Uh, what can, what can we point to, and what can be improved upon specifically for this team to tighten things up at the back defensively? Personally, I would have, I would rather have seen a one 0 win today, or even a scoreless draw. I think the confidence Leon could have gained from a clean sheet would have been much more important uh, than a massive result. I think that uh, I think Leon have had one clean sheet in their last ten, one clean sheet in their last eleven mm. in all comps, uh, which is it, which is really worrying. I mean, it's not like they're not scoring goals, but their position in the table is down to uh, their poor defense. Whether that's against Gangamp, whether that's against Caen, whether that's against Lille, I'm thinking this in their recent league results. You know, give them another six points, give them another seven points, and then then maybe we can talk about perhaps them having a chance of catching Leo or catching Nice rather for third. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just really going through their recent games and the things you've mentioned there. If you think about the personnel, they've tried a little bit of everyone. They've tried Mamana, they've tried Ikabe and Kulu, uh, Yang and Biwa. So they've sort of thrown everyone in there and, other than maybe Diakabe has been really good, but has made the odd mistake. Maman has made a few mistakes. The other two make relatively regular mistakes. But at the same time, I think that's where it underlying the underlying issue is. Is it's I don't think it's personnel necessarily because I think they're all can be very good defenders, but they they just haven't really gelled together as a partnership. Any of them. Um, I also think that approach wise. And tactics-wise, I don't think that's too much of an issue. I think they work best as a flat-back four because of the wing-backs. I think they do have decent coverage from Gonalon in front of them for most times where the where the tactics are, and that's that's not too bad. I just think it comes down to individual mistakes, and that's coaching, really, um, and concentration levels. Every single time Leon seemed to concede a goal in league this season, it's a little bit of a mental error. I mentioned the the one the other week where Jalet, who we've praised for defensive uh, his defensive work in the past he falls asleep and there's a headed goal because he's fallen asleep behind him uh, the goals at the, at the weekend the Tavares goal um, comes from um, them trying to play out at the back a little bit um, well sorry it comes from the corner doesn't it yes it comes from that corner and they've sort of left him out they've not pushed out enough uh, the Dione goal is a little bit of a shambles as well and defensively they're not really they really that was the one yeah that was the one they tried to play out from the back they get caught again from Gonalon and they sort of caught on the counter, and it's just 
seems to be, uh, and I'm, I'm sure you've picked this up, Eric, as well, which is just individual mistakes. If they can cut out those little errors, those mental errors, which, again, I think is a coaching thing where you need to tell your player, you need to be making sure that your players are fully focused throughout the entire game, especially defenders where you can, in better teams, drop off concentration-wise because you've got less to do. But there always seems to be a mistake in someone in the back four, whether, and regardless who they play. Um, and that needs to improve for me, mentality-wise. To, to For Leon to get back to the level they can be at, they need to cut those out. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it is, it is frustrating. It's not, it's not as if these players haven't achieved something. I mean, you know, Diakabi is a bright prospect. Mamana has won trophies in Argentina. He's even been capped by Argentina, even though he's only 20. Uh, Yanga Mbiwa and Kulu are both experienced internationals. Uh, so it really is is mental, and I... That's why today was so frustrating for me to see them. Oh yeah, it was a good goal from, from the youngster Garcia, but yeah, uh, the, the, you know, Leon just need to get back to the get back to having a good defense. I mean, this is the thing. Back in 2014-15, Leon had a good defense as well as a good attack, and that was what allowed them to be a legitimate contender for the title. Uh, it wasn't just Lacazette and and uh, and Fekir. I mean, it it was they played they played masterfully, but Jolly was in much better form that season. Vadimo uh, was was decent at left back, and they they were a much more cohesive team defensively, and we just haven't been seeing that this season. And and I think I think that mental mistakes are down to it because both all, all of these players, this all of these four central defenders, I think on on their best day are certainly of a good enough quality to be in the top three in France, and and we just haven't seen it. And hopefully, that a manager that comes in that can sort that thing out. I mean. And that's, that's the thing, you know, we've seen how managers who have a more defensive mindset can have a massive positive effect on a team. Uh, I think that Monaco and Nice are probably the best examples, but, you know, Saint-Étienne get it done year in, year out. They'll get it done. They probably have a lower expectations than Leon, but they get it done because of their defensive work ethic, and, and, that's, and that's a credit to Galtier. And you know, so if we had Leon being able to mirror that approach mentally, I, th- I think we'd have a much stronger and more consistent third team in France. Absolutely. Uh, so then your prediction for this match? Uh, yeah, I think Mets have been interesting the last couple of weeks. I think that they've added little bits of determination and they've kept themselves in games. They were maybe a little bit lucky against uh, Angers at the weekend to draw, but they're, they're, they're hanging in there and about. And again, it's, it's dear Carbe nicking goals. Um, I'm going to go 2-1 Leon. All right, I was going to say that, uh, so I'll go through one. <laughs> Great minds. Yes, uh, think about so it. Just to finish off here with uh, Le Classique. Uh, so Marseille are hosting PSG, and uh, this is you know, a pretty big match, and Mar- Marseille are probably going to be looking ahead somewhat to midweek. Uh, they did all right against Rennes last week without Gomis playing the 4-3-3 with NG using his pace centrally. Um, should they keep at it tactically, or...? Because of a lack of options, or is there a way that, that things could be improved? In all honesty, from from Marseille's point of view, um, similar to the game at the Parc de Prince earlier this season, I wouldn't be surprised if they just try and shut PSG down again and, and earn a, a valuable point um, because of the issues of having no Gomez. And they were they were pretty good against uh, against Ren with Ng in that position, and I, I think they probably might be tempted to continue with that. And, the, and I would as well, unless you think there's a better option of maybe putting someone like... Uh, I've, <laughs> then, I, then I can't come up with a name. As in, say, like, 
if they could play a false nine that maybe gives them a bit more a bit more protection, a bit more he will chase the be, center back. I think it has to be Remy Cabela. Bunasar's out. He's injured. Uh, he's right. a dislocated shoulder. I think he's out for close to a month or maybe even more. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it would have it would have to be an Angie or, or Cabela. I mean, you know, you take your pick there. So so I probably stick with NG then in, in the sense that even if you do play a more defensive one, uh, just tell him you're very quick, run around and try and dismantle the centre-backs. And if we get the ball, just start running and try and find a gap and a space and see if we can work from there. Um, other than that, it's a difficult one because if they try and play the same kind of way they did against Ren, uh, which is more expansive with uh, Lopez and Tovan and, and Paye, they're going to get caught out and it could snowball in the sense that PSG, if they play the way they can play, um, they could really, really cut them apart with their defensive issues. So at least it's centre-back anyway when they don't sort of compact themselves in. So I would do that and try and risk that and hope that you maybe catch them on the counter in one game. I know that might sound a little bit unoptimistic for Le Classique and for the Marseille fans, but um, with a touch of realism, a point, it's actually a really good point against PSG, um, hoping that the teams around them don't get too good of results at the weekend. And then there's plenty of games left in the season. They've already played a lot of their difficult teams, Lyon, Marseille. They've they've got to play a couple of the teams around them, which is the ones they really should be going for. But without Gomis, um, be a little bit more conservative. All right. A PSG seemed to have, quote-unquote, got it wrong by some people's standard, not not mine personally, at the weekend by rotating their squad. Uh, but with Lucas in for Angel Di Maria, uh, PSG seem to have a, a pretty strong squad here. But they do have the cup match midweek. They're away to New York, a second division struggler. I, I admit that. Uh, not likely to be that tough. We have seen surprises here before. Now, that said, how, which in which how does Emery rate, weight his squad here? A loss in the cup, which is unlikely, but still possible. It's you know we, we've seen Stranger Things. Uh, does he put his eggs in that basket, or does he concentrate on this match in the league? Go with the classic. Keep it nice and simple. All right. I, I know. I know. I know. I just had to ask. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting point because the cup is obviously still important, but against such a weak side as well. If it was a league inside, it would be a completely different kettle of fish, but. Um, with Marseille reeling without Gomis, so they've not really got a natural striker and they're, they're having to play someone there with their defensive issues as well. If you break a goal against Marseille and they then have to counter you, um, I think Paris Saint-Germain could really put two, three, four past them. And with games, like we've mentioned, Monaco are facing an out-of-sorts gang-up side, um, but a gang-up side that can be still dangerous. Uh, nice playing without really a, a seasoned striker, at least they're two main ones, uh, out of that one and against uh, uh, Montpellier side who are rising. I think it's a really good opportunity for them to possibly close the gap if results go their way before this. So play as strong a team as you can, get a good result, get yourself firmly back into the crazy title race that we're having at the moment. And yeah, um, if if you lose against New York, that's against your players that you put out there really because they should be winning that game, whoever he puts out. So um, yeah, go full strength, go full hammer. You might even get a crazy result against Marseille and, and massive bragging rights in France. I, well, what would be that massive result then? Oh, 
and and uh, Mo close your ears if you're listening. Um, I, I think it's going to be a really without Gomez. I really really fear that they're going to maybe push it a little bit too hard, like they have gone against Marseille and Leon. And I think it's going to be five nil PSG. Oof. All right, I'm going to go with four one. I'll be just a little bit more conservative. Uh, but yeah, that will do it for this week's Get French Football News preview show. My thanks to Nathan for joining me. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at, w- at GFFN. Uh, we'll be around tomorrow and all weekend with live match coverage on GFFN Match Zone on Twitter as well. And we'll, you can please join us on Monday for uh, the regular show hosted by Nathan and Philip Bargiel. Thank you and have a pleasant weekend. <laughs>